0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Tip is is going first. Paul said, "Follow me, as I follow the Lord." Well, that's a that could be a scary thing to say. I would never want to say, "Follow me," if I wasn't following the Lord. But if I'm following the Lord, then I can say, "Follow me, as I follow the Lord." The
1: job. Who is your leader following? Hopefully your pastors and leaders in your life are truly following Jesus and leading you in the same direction so that your life then becomes a way for others to see Jesus and begin to follow him as well. With the second part of our message out of 1 Peter 5, one peter 1 through four, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson.
0: I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Is Peter in some way saying, Out of all the things that I saw Jesus do, the greatest of all of those were the sufferings that Jesus went through. It certainly was His greatest work because that's why He came. Oh, He set people free by healing them, but the greatest work that He did was setting people free of their sins. And that Peter would say as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter knew about the glory too, the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. Because Peter was invited with James and John up onto the Mount of Transfiguration where the Bible says that Jesus' robe began to shine brighter than any launderer can make it. And suddenly there was Moses and there was Elijah and Peter who just couldn't keep his mouth shut. James and John seemed to be okay with the issue. But Peter said, it's good for us to be here. You know anybody that just states the obvious all the time? They're driving down the road. You'll drive by Cocos and they'll go, Cocos. (laughs) Yeah, it's been there for a long time. Target, yeah, that's been there for a long time too. Peter, it's good for us to be here. Boy, that's some deep thought, Peter. Moses and Elijah just showed up. Jesus just appeared uh, suddenly in his glory. Yes, it's good for you to be here. And eventually God had to interrupt Peter and say, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Peter would know what the glory is. There's a glory that's going to be revealed one day. The clouds will part and Jesus Christ will come through in all of his glory. If that did not happened for us, one day we will go to him and we'll see him in all of his glory. And I think that's what makes... The worship song by Mercy Me, I can only imagine. The most popular worship song in America today. And it's been that way, by the way, for the last decade. Because it gives us that thought of seeing Jesus in all of his glory. One day the glory will be revealed. And I love that the Bible says that we're going to receive the glory we're going to see cannot be compared to the sufferings that we are suffering now. And so he lets them know, I want to encourage you. And so he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. He doesn't say, shepherd the flock of God, which belongs to you. Extremely important for us to understand that the church that we pastor is not ours. It's so easy to get possessive. It's so easy to say, well, we've got a church in this area of town and we don't need any more churches in this area of town, even among Calvary chapels. So easy for Calvaries to be possessive. Somebody comes and you know, wants to start a Calvary in a town. They've been there for 20 years and they have four or 500 people. It's a town of a million people. And they'll say, well, we've got the town covered. We really don't want you guys to come here. It's one of the reasons that we had the whole idea of sending churches out as reaches because we would talk about sending a young man out into a certain area where we felt like there was a need. And we'll talk more about the need in a moment. But we would send them out and sometimes there's a Calvary in the area and they would just start doing backflips. They would just be like, and they'd go absolutely berserk. Now, from my perspective as a pastor, somebody wants to come and start a church across the street from me, I shouldn't care at all. I should understand, you know what? Probably gonna be different anyway. They're probably gonna be different than me because there's not two of me around in the world. There's not two of them and there's different things that appeal to different people. And so churches can be close by not really matter. But as far as going and planting a church, I don't want to encourage a young man to go and plant a church by another church. I want there to be an area of need. If there's a large, effective evangelical church, we're not going to go plant a Calvary Chapel right next to it. We don't want to. Paul said, I don't want to build on another man's foundation. We want to make sure that there's a need, that we're not just going and siphoning off of that church and planning something that doesn't have a genuine need. However, understanding clearly that it's not Robert's church. It's not Scott's church. It's not Pat's church. It is that we are shepherding the flock that is among us. And the interesting thing about that particular term is that on any given night, the flock that among us could be different. There could be those of you tonight that are visiting. You came with some friends or you've just kind of decided to come. Let's go to Calvary tonight. Let's just go over there. And so now you're being shepherded, but you belong to Jesus. He's the one who is your real shepherd. And we are shepherding the flock that is among us. It says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. That's the word that is translated bishop at times. It's just overseeing individuals in their spirituality. That's the job of an elder. An elder's job is to care for someone spiritually. Hebrews tells us that, the pastor must give an account to those that are entrusted to him. So there are certain souls that are entrusted to an individual. Not only do you have a stricter judgment, but you've got to give an account for those that are entrusted to you. So you pray for them. So you love them. So you pour yourself into them. It's not about what you can gain from them, but it's about what you can give to them. It's about the service that you have in being able to, to serve them. He says, serving as overseers. And then he gives three things. And these are three things to do and three things not to do. We could have called this the do's and don'ts for pastors. Number one, not by compulsion, but willingly. Compulsion is simply because you have to. There's not a pastor, a genuine pastor that has to do it. If I didn't want to do this, I don't have to do it. God doesn't want to mean doing it out of compulsion. Every once in a while, you'll run into a pastor who's like, I really don't like what I'm doing, but I'm called here. I hate this town, but I'm called here. So here I am. Open up your Bibles. (laughs) They're angry. They're grumpy. They're mean. No one wants to be there, right? Listen, you, you are called by God, and you feel the call, and you respond to the call And if you come to the place where you say, I don't want to do this anymore, then quit. Just quit. Don't say, I have to do this because I have to do it. No, go get a job at Starbucks. Go do something else. There is a lot of stress in pastoring. There's a lot of stress in dealing with people. There's a lot of stress in dealing with sheep. A sheep attack is an ugly thing. You might not think that it could happen, but sheep can bear their teeth and they can come after you and... If you're doing it not because, if it's not an honest heart of really wanting to care for the sheep, then you're not going to enjoy what you do. So you're not to do it out of compulsion, but you are to do it willingly because you want to. Again, it's not because it's always a blast. It's not because it's always fun, but willingly. That's what God wants out of those who pastor. So there should never be a pastor who would say, I really don't want to be here, but I'm here because God made me be here. And I've heard pastors say that before. And if you say that, well... You're going to have to deal with this verse because God doesn't want you doing it out of compulsion. In fact, I'll go this far. You have complete and total freedom. You should do nothing that you do out of compulsion. You should not give out of compulsion. You shouldn't give financially because you think if I don't give, God's not going to give unto me. The Bible says give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And so people give out of compulsion and sometimes pastors will, and if you don't give, then God's not going to give to you. You put yourself under a curse if you don't tithe. They'll say, God doesn't want your money if you're going to give out of compulsion. God doesn't want your time. He doesn't want anything that you do to be out of compulsion. It ought to be because you want to, because you get to, because you're willing. Then he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So willingly and eagerly, but not for dishonest gain. That with pastoring would come an opportunity for dishonest gain boy have we seen that over the years there are three areas that pastors can get into trouble there's money which we're talking about here there's sex and there is laziness there have been all kinds of pastors that have fallen into this sin for us as pastors to say well temptation is beyond me is to be in real trouble There needs to be a sense of battling against things and understanding that anyone can fall into sin. Making sure that there are guidelines so that dishonest gain isn't a part of what happens. And it has happened. I remember back in the 80s with the television evangelists. Remember they'd be on TV, Tammy Faye Baker, Jim Baker, crying, makeup running, then there was Tammy. Sorry, shouldn't pick on Jim Baker. He did write a book called I Was Wrong and really repented over over what he had done. But I remember when they'd be crying on TV, we need your money, we're gonna have to close the doors. I remember thinking, don't tease us, just close them already. Just stop asking for money. Christian TV was nothing more than asking for money. And then finally, when they were able to get in and look at the books, they saw that there was all kinds of fraud taking place and Jim Baker even went to prison. For the fraud that had taken place. I believe that a pastor cannot be one who loves money and has a love of money. Now, on the other side of it, a a pastor is worthy of his hire. The Bible says in several different places, You, you need to pay a pastor for what he does and pay him. If you're on a board, pay him enough where he can be generous. Don't take a vow of poverty for the pastor. If he wants to take a vow of poverty, then great, let him take a vow of poverty, but don't take a vow of poverty for him. He ought to be able to. Sometimes, you know, board members that are setting pay for pastors, sometimes they think, you know, they just need to really suffer and, and not, you know, give them enough to where when the check comes for lunch, they can actually reach for the check and be able to buy lunch for the guy where they themselves can be generous. So there's a balance, but obviously not dishonest gain. Being Able to be paid for what you do is one thing. Dishonest gain is another. And then it says, but eagerly, out of an eagerness to do what God wants us to do. May we pastor with, a, with an eagerness, just eager to see what God does and will do and willingly. And then he says, not as being lords over those entrusted to you. Now we get the idea that there are certain individuals that are entrusted to you. Now, how are they entrusted? He says, not as lords over them. How are you guys entrusted to me as a pastor or to the pastors that are on staff? You choose. You get to come and see if this is a place you want to be. If this is a place that God has called you to be and you can choose to be here. You might come and go, I don't want to be here. This isn't the church that I want to be at. Then you don't have to be here. You get to choose. And when you choose, then you get involved. Then you give of your time, of your resources. Then you pray for them. Then you get involved. And those who have chosen to send under a certain ministry, probably moved by God to some degree. I think this is a God thing, bringing us together, like-mindedness in ministry. There's just something about a kindred heart. God does that, where he brings people together that think alike. And he puts us under a care of a pastor. And that pastor now is entrusted and has to give an account for what's being said. But he's not to lord over those. What would it mean to lord over? To lord over is when you begin to tell people what they do, should do, and what they should not do. You begin to tell them who they should marry, what church they should attend. If you find yourself in a church that starts to tell you, this is the only church you can go to and really serve God. We're the only church that really serves him. It's time to leave that church and go find another church. What makes up a cult? The first definition of a cult is that their theology is wrong concerning Jesus. A cult does not believe in the unique deity of Jesus. The Bible teaches clearly that Jesus is God. That he laid aside his glory for a time. He became a little lower than the angels. And well, the Bible says, and God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the father. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the the theology. A cult teaches that Jesus either is not God, like the Jehovah witnesses who teach that he was a prophet, he was a good man, he was the best man that ever lived, but he's not God. Or like the Latter-day Saints or the Mormons who teach that Jesus is not uniquely God. When you're talking to a Latter-day Saint, they will tell you, oh, we believe that Jesus is God. God. What they don't tell you is they believe that you can be God the same way Jesus is God and that Jesus is God the same way Elohim was God and that Elohim was one day a person and that he got his own little universe and he's God over us now and that you can go have your own little world somewhere, have your celestial wives, I don't know how that makes the girls feel, by the way, have your celestial wives and have the celestial babies that will populate your own planet so that you can do the same thing Jesus does. So theologically, that's what makes a cult a cult. But there's something else about a cult. A cult is overbearing. A cult is controlling. We've got a Jehovah Witness place just down the street. And every time I drive by, I think, there's no windows in that place. <laughs> I don't know what goes on in there, all right? I don't know enough about Jehovah Witnesses to know what goes on, but it's creepy to me. It's just, I'm just saying. Maybe I shouldn't be saying, but I'm just saying. I'm just driving by going, there's no windows in that place. And it just kind of creeps me out a little bit. There's stuff that's done in secret and they want to control you. They want to control how much you give. They want to control who you marry. A witness will say, you got to marry a witness. They want to tell you sometimes even the person you, that you should marry. A church will do none of that. A church speaks of the freedom that we have in Christ. And our goal is to take the word of God and teach you what God wants from you, and then for you to be able to make the decisions in your life that you need to make. What church you're going to attend, what job you're going to take, who you're going to marry. Over the years, I've had people ask me whether or not they should marry someone, which is always an interesting question for me. I have a standard response to that, by the way. When someone comes to me and says, do you think I should marry so-and-so? It's usually a guy asking about a girl. I'll say, I don't know. I don't have to live with her. You're the one that has to live with her. I think you're the one who should make this decision because if I make the decision for you, in about two weeks, you're gonna be really mad at me. You make the decision, you pray about it. That's a church equips the people to do the work of the ministry. A pastor equips them. A pastor gives them the information so that they can make the decisions for themselves. As soon as the church starts to lord over people, you have to marry this person. And I'll tell you what, it happens. You have to be in this ministry. You have to do, as soon as that begins to happen, then a pastor has crossed over the line and a church has crossed over to an area of abuse. And it happens a lot. It's happened here recently. There was a church in Seattle, Mars Hill, and it became known that there had been abuse of such there. That the pastor had been overly controlling in the lives of his staff. And finally, his staff got together. And kind of just said, this has been going on. This guy's been a real jerk to us. And the whole thing has just come apart. What was the champion of the new cutting edge church has completely fallen apart in Seattle. And it's because of overbearingness. You need to understand that, that you don't find yourself there. That if we as a church begin to get overbearing with you, if we begin to say, this is how much you need to give, this is what you need to give, This is who you're supposed to, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to, you know, that it's just time to move on. It's time to go find another place to be fed. It's time to understand that it's not lording over, but instead we're not to lord over, but we're to live as examples. We're supposed to do what we do by example. Leadership, first of all, the very first thing about leadership is that it is a person that goes first. Leadership is not someone saying, um... Leadership is, is going first. Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. Well, that's a, that could be a scary thing to say. I would never want to say, follow me if I wasn't following the Lord. But if I'm following the Lord, then I could say, follow me as I follow the Lord. The job of a pastor is not to stand on the side of the road and go, go that way, go that way, go that way. The job of the pastor is to get close to Jesus and do what he's supposed to do. And when people see the outcome of your life, then they're drawn to Christ as examples instead of lording over the flock. By the way, there's a larger picture to this as well. And that is that in our witness in our lives, as we live for Christ by example, other people are gonna go. You wanna be a leader? You can be a leader by getting closer to Jesus. Just get close to Jesus. There's a lot of Christians who aren't. Once you get close to Jesus, you're leading the way and others will follow you. One of the things that Skip said to me when we came out to Tucson and we began to do Bible studies here and the church began to grow. One of the things that Skip said was the people of your church will generally not get any closer to Jesus than you are. If you're at a distance from him, if you don't maintain your own personal walk, there are going to be people in your church who are going to get closer to Jesus because they do it. But in essence, the people of your church will draw close to Christ if you stay close to Jesus. That's by example. He was telling me what Peter is saying here. Not as lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, that we live what we believe and that you see it and you follow. Now, he finally says in verse four, and here's where we'll wrap it up. And when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. He had started this section by talking about the glory that would be revealed. There's a a crown of glory. There's a crown for martyrs. I I think that there's a reward, a specific reward for martyrs. There's a crown of of glory for pastors. But we don't do what we do for a crown of, of glory. And by the way, who knows? What real rewards are going to come? Jesus said, when you're seen for what you do, then you've received your reward. Who knows who's really going to receive rewards? I could go, Well, I pastored a church for 30 years. I'm going to receive a good crown of glory. I may get up in heaven and go, What? What's this? Jesus would say, Well, you know, you had a lot of people listening to you, a lot of people saying nice things to you. You received your reward there. I'm like, I wish I didn't have so many people saying so many nice things to me. So I could receive my, they were stealing my reward when they were coming up and talking to me. And I didn't even know it. The reward system in heaven is gonna be a lot different. But Peter wants to encourage them. Remember, this is all encouragement. He wants to encourage them to know that when the chief shepherd appears, one day our shepherd's gonna appear. Those of us that have been shepherding along with him will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. That crown of glory is not specific and unique to pastors. The crown of glory is spoken of in other places to all believers. We run our race. You run your race, I run my race. And if you're called here to pastor somewhere, then you're gonna go wherever you go and you're gonna pastor and you're gonna run your race. The key is running the race to the end, enduring to the end and receiving whatever rewards God has given us. And we too, I believe, will bow down before him when we are in heaven. And just as the 24 elders cast their golden crowns before the Lord, I think we'll cast whatever glory we have before the Lord, knowing that knowing Him and being with Him is enough, that His glory is enough. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray. Father, we want to thank You for the gifts that You've given to the church. We thank You for men that are well-known and that seem to have ten talents like Alistair Begg and Greg Laurie and Chuck Smith and Charles Swindoll, others in that camp. We thank you that you've given them to the church to teach and to encourage and to strengthen and we learn so much from them. Lord, we also thank you for local churches where you've raised up pastors to love and care and feed. We pray that you'd bless those that are pastoring. We thank you for pastors within those churches that minister to the daily needs of the body pray that they would be blessed as well. Lord, your heart was to encourage pastors through Peter. Lord, I pray that those that are pastors that hear this on whatever level, that they would be encouraged. That I would take encouragement in this. Faithfully caring for your people. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses, our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco, meets saturdays at 6 p.m and sundays at 9 45 a.m our west campus south of palo verde and i-10 meets sunday mornings at 8 30 and 11 a.m our midweek service times are wednesday evening at 6 p.m at our east campus and 7 15 p.m at our west campus if you prefer you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org